Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. out there right now so you never know Uh, but nonetheless John chapter number one and I'm going to do a little skipping around here Uh, I'm going to read verse 14 which we have read at previous times but I'm going to read verse 14 I'll skip around I'll give you direction where we're going but John 1 and verse number 14 again the scripture says and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Skipping down to verse number 25. And they asked him, that's the priests and the Levites asked John the Baptist, and they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes, whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to Unloose. Skipping down to verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh the man which is preferred before... Does it sound redundant? After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Amen. Tonight, our subject matter... For this lesson this evening, part four of our series is the record of a witness. The record of a witness, which was John the Baptist's role uh, that the writer of John of the fourth gospel tells us he was to be a witness. Amen. Unto the Lord in these things. Let's pray tonight. Father, I love you this evening. I pray, oh God, that you're able to help us right now. And God, as we once again, Lord, turn our attention God and our focus to the word of the Lord. God, let your word, Lord Jesus, direct our lives. Help us, God, to learn from it. I pray, oh Lord, today, Jesus, that you're able to minister, God, to perhaps someone, Lord God, through the teaching of your word this evening. God, as we, Lord, endeavor, God, to declare, God, the whole counsel of the Lord in respect to the book of John. In the lovely name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you this evening. The record of a witness the record of a witness at least three times here in chapter number one our author john is relating to us how john the baptist uh, was no doubt uh, the witness that the lord wanted him to be remember he was not that light but he was sent of god to bear witness of that light and there are three times that the contents of verse number 15, or at least the fact of John the Baptist saying that uh, he was, uh, he came after me, but he was preferred before me at least three times. We see that highlighted in John chapter number one. We see them appearing in John 5, John 1, 15, John 1, 27, and John 1 and verse number 30. 
Again, John the Baptist was bearing witness of the light and he was doing quite an adequate job here in the first chapter of being the witness to the Lord or for the Lord. In each one of those instances where John the Baptist spoke, how the Lord was coming after him, yet he was also preferred before him, uh, John the Baptist is, is speaking to the Lord and making reference to three different aspects or three different perspectives of the Lord Jesus Christ in those different places of John chapter number 1. In verse number 15, John the Baptist is referring back to that one coming after him but preferred before him. He's referring to that word that was made flesh. In verse 27, he is referring to that one that was among them that they knew not. In verse number 30, he is referring back to the Lamb of God, which would take away the sin of the world. And so we understand from the first chapter of John that John the Baptist knows his place well. He knows his role and his responsibility well. He's functioning in it well. He is to be a witness for the Lord. As a matter of fact, John understands this, that regardless of when Jesus came or the means or how Jesus came and whether Jesus was popular, whether he lacked popularity, John the Baptist states emphatically that Jesus Christ was preferred before himself. As a matter of fact, in Scripture, literally, in Scripture, literally, Jesus literally preceded John the Baptist in conception or in birth by at least six months, according to the Scripture in Luke. For that matter, Jesus also preceded, or John the Baptist also preceded uh, 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 in his public ministry John proceeded in his public ministry prior to Jesus. And I want to back up just a moment because I may have said Jesus instead of John. John came before Jesus six months. Elizabeth was pregnant with John six months before Mary was pregnant with Jesus. And so John literally came before Jesus by birth, literally before him as meaning starting his earthly ministry. But our Bible tells us that the word that was made flesh that 1 Timothy 3.16, that God that was manifested in the flesh, that on his human nature side, Jesus Christ came after John the Baptist. But on his divine nature side, he was ever before John the Baptist. And so, yes, he came after John in the sense of his literal human birth, but he was before John concerning that he was the God Almighty, the creator of the universe, that word that was in the beginning that was also with God and that became human flesh in verse number 14. But in spite of all of this, John understanding his place, John the Baptist that is, he says that Jesus was preferred before him, which basically means that Jesus was greater than him or had priority over him or that he was greater in rank than him. Although he may have preceded him naturally that Jesus had a higher profile, if you will, than John the Baptist had. And so the Bible speaks to us that John the Baptist baptized, hence uh, the, the, the saying of John the Baptist, he baptized with water, but the scripture says that Jesus Christ would baptize with the Holy Ghost. 
And so we have this, 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 these two contrasts here. John just baptized with water, but Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Ghost. Matthew and Luke, the other Gospels, Matthew and Luke even says he baptizes with the Holy Ghost and with fire. According to John's own admission, he says, John the Baptist says, I baptize with water for this purpose. The reason for my baptizing utmost, uh, the utmost reason for it is for the purpose to manifest unto Israel who Jesus Christ or the Son of God is. That's the reason why John the Baptist was found baptizing. The Bible says in John 1 and verse 31, this is John the Baptist here speaking. He says, I knew him not, amen, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with Water. So John tells us the purpose for his baptizing is so that this man, this Messiah, the Son of God, would be made manifest to Israel. And John had a mandate. Uh, the Lord had spoke to him and told him that I want you to baptize. And he had given him a sign as well that whosoever you see the Spirit of the Lord descending as a dove upon and remaining, he is the one that will baptize with the Holy Ghost. He is the one that is going to come after you that is greater than you, that's going to go beyond just a baptism of water, but a baptism of spirit. The Bible says in John 1 and verse 33, again, John the Baptist says, and I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the spirit descending and remaining, that's important on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And so these things are starting to connect together in what we see in the first chapter of John. Because remember, the light shines in the darkness. The darkness comprehends it not. But John the Baptist was sent to bear witness of the light, and he did. Yet when we see that people are not comprehended who this man, Christ Jesus, is, we see it throughout the first chapter of John. Remember, the world knew him not. His own did not receive him. John the Baptist, we've already read two verses in which he even states, I knew him not. Yeah, John the Baptist says, I knew him not. John even told the priests and the Levites that came questioning him that there was one that stood among them that they did not know, that they had not taken recognition of. And so John is laying all of this out Amen. Concerning someone that's unknown among them all, somebody that they didn't realize. And of course, what John is referring to is the Son of God. He's referring to Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Think with me for a moment. It almost would make you scratch your head for John the Baptist to say that I knew him not whenever John the Baptist and Jesus was related. John the Baptist and Jesus were related. Uh, uh, Elizabeth and Mary, the Bible speaks that they were cousins. And so there was a relation there between John the Baptist and Jesus. And so for John the Baptist to say that he knew him not seems to be a little peculiar. But John didn't know him in the sense of knowing that he was the son of God. John the Baptist didn't know him in the sense of not knowing that he was the Messiah until the sign of the dove that would come at the baptism and light upon him and remain. Would he understand that this, this, this distant cousin or cousin of his, so to speak, amen, was the son of God, the Messiah that was spoken of by the Old Testament 
prophets. And so the scripture says, again, that sign would be the spirit descending from heaven upon this one that would be denoted as the son of God. It would come upon him and it would remain. That would be the sign being fulfilled. It would come upon him and it would remain. Now, uh, the spirit of the Lord coming upon a person is not anything uh, peculiar, even in Old Testament scripture. It wasn't uncommon for the Spirit of the Lord to come upon somebody in the Old Testament Scripture. Sometimes the Spirit came upon them to speak a prophetic word in order to uh, use them in some way to speak to the people as he came upon Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah or even Moses at different times to speak a word unto the people. Or there were times that the Spirit of the Lord came upon a person. Like in the book of Judges, we see in particular Samson, the Spirit of the Lord would move upon him and he was capable then of doing some great exploit uh, for, for, for the Lord in the moment that the Spirit moved upon him. But what's seen here a little different is that the Spirit of the Lord moves upon this individual that, that John has baptized, which was Jesus Christ. And the Bible says it remained upon him or it abode upon him. Very seldom do you see that terminology used in Old Testament Scripture of the Spirit coming upon someone and staying with them or abiding and remaining. So this is the sign then, uh, not just for John the Baptist, but for all of Israel, that this was the Son of God. This, this was the individual that John would soon call the Lamb of God. This was, in reality, the Messiah that they were looking for. And so John the Baptist is doing a very great, a very great service to the people. And he is providing a very great witness, amen, to the people concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what I believe. John is doing all these things. He's heard what's to take place and the sign. But I believe John is witnessing for the Lord even beyond what he even understands he is doing. I believe there is a certain aspect that he grasps, but I think there's some things that John the Baptist does and some things that he says that even goes beyond his understanding, yet he's being used of God in what he does and what he says. Because the Bible says in verse number 29 that on one of the days, Jesus seems to be coming toward him and John the Baptist cries out and says, Behold the Lamb of God. I believe whenever John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, that was one of those times that he was being a witness for the Lord. But I don't think he understood the full gravity of the witness that he was being in that moment. Uh, the writer of the Gospel of John, uh, he's good about giving us little timetables throughout his Gospel. Uh, trying, to, trying to give us at different times some chronology to some events. If you'll look in verse number 29, uh, the author tells us the next day. So he's giving us uh, some time setting. In verse 35, he says, and again, the next day. Verse 43, he says, the day following. In John 2 and verse 1, he says, and the third day. Now look, John 2 and verse number 12 and 13. After this, he went down to Capernaum. So he's given us, given us some, some time frames or some successions of things happening. He and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. He's speaking of Jesus here that went down to Capernaum. Verse 13, and the Jews' Passover was at him, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. 
Now, all of this is very important concerning the time frames that the author of the fourth gospel has given us whenever we consider what John the Baptist said when Jesus approached him in chapter 1. Behold the Lamb of God. Because that statement is made during a time frame that is near the Jews' Passover. And so everybody during this time frame of the Passover, their minds are already thinking about lambs. Their minds are already concerned with with blood on doorposts and on lentils. They are already consumed with Passover and a Paschal lamb, of course, being a major major component of Passover. And so during this time uh, leading up to Passover, amen, in this time frame, there's people that are selecting lambs and, and they are keeping a careful watch over them and inspecting them to make sure that they are unblemished lambs and They've they've caused them to pass under their rod several times, amen, to make sure there is no deformity or impurity upon them. And so with the setting of Passover coming and every mind uh, looking toward and thinking concerning lambs and Passover and blood being shed and what was done all the way back in the first Passover of Exodus 12 and deliverance from Egypt and all these things, in that setting then you must understand John, again, I believe stating something that's beyond even what he understands Understanding what he was doing in that moment says behold the lamb of God when he does that you must know that for sure every Jewish individual's attention was caught in the moment that he said behold the lamb of God when all their minds are encircling about at this moment was lambs for Passover so John is doing a great service being a witness for the Lord Because a paschal lamb or the lamb that's used at Passover was very significant. According to Exodus 12, that lamb, of course, had to be without blemish. The blood of that slain lamb then was placed upon the doorpost and upon the lintel of the house. It would keep whenever that last plague of of the slaughter of the firstborn of the household, whenever that would pass through the land there at night, it would keep the death angel from entering into the home. If the blood of the lamb was there, it would keep the death angel from entering into the home, from taking the firstborn of the family. In essence, it prevented the tenth plague of Egypt from impacting the Israelites. Amen. Also, the Passover was a springboard for Israel's deliverance. It was after the Passover and the events of that night that the Israelites would finally be given the, the, the grand okay with no strings attached of being able to leave Egypt. They would go out then after the 10th plague, after Passover, they would leave Egypt With a high hand, the scripture says, it would be the hand of victory. So no doubt, whenever John says, behold the Lamb of God, all of these things are flooding, amen, through and in the minds of the people. And all of this comes to bear upon this man that John the Baptist is referring to, Jesus Christ, that he calls the Lamb of God. Amen. And where John, I believe, speaks beyond what he can even comprehend in the moment, Jesus would be that unblemished lamb. Jesus would be that unblemished lamb whose life and blood, for that matter, would be given for the sake of the deliverance 
of his people once and for all. It would be their ultimate protection from death, the death that is associated with the sin nature of our lives. Furthermore, look if you will, he says, behold the Lamb of God. Whenever he says, behold the Lamb of God, there is another realization that Jews that have carried on any oral tradition of their fathers, which they were very diligent at, carrying on any oral oral, uh, tradition of their fathers, the Lamb of God would be a realization that that could also be the answer that Abraham even referred to Whenever he gave to his son Isaac as they were going up Mount Moriah, inquisitive Isaac is seeing everything that's there for sacrifice and for an altar, but he doesn't see one thing, and that is a lamb. The Bible says in Genesis 22, verses 7 through 8, And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? This is Genesis 22 where Abraham has been spoken to of God that he must take his son, his only son, up Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. And as they're going up, Isaac's noticing everything that's there, fire and wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Verse 8, and Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they both went, so they both, so they went both of them Together, And so later we know in the story of Genesis 22 that they come across and there is a ram that is caught in the thicket that provided for a sacrifice in that moment instead of Isaac. But even more so, amen, God would provide himself, as Abraham said it, God would provide himself a lamb, amen, as God manifested himself in the flesh as the Son of God, as Jesus Christ, as John the Baptist is now saying, behold the Lamb of God, amen, that could it be, amen, that people's minds are running through all the courses of tradition of when Abraham said that to Isaac, now even seeing that John is making reference to a man as the Lamb of God. God, that the answer for the sacrifice is among us and we didn't even know it but oh God hallelujah mm. he says he's standing among you but you know him not amen and so it was a constant thing understand for the Jewish people it was a constant thing to ever be looking with a certain amount of expectation for the Messiah he had been prophesied of old they want to see that of course come to fruition though many of them missed it but still yet, it was a it was an ever quest uh, anticipating the Messiah's approach in his coming. And so keeping the words of the, their, their, their great prophets, their honorable prophets, close to their heart. No doubt when they hear John the Baptist say, behold, this, the, the Lamb of God. Maybe some of them could recall some of the prophetic words of some known and dependable prophets such as Isaiah. In Isaiah 53, when Isaiah is writing about a suffering servant, but in verse 7, he says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep 
before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Again, folks, John the Baptist, I believe, is being a tremendous witness, but not just for the here and now, but for the things that will unfold throughout the rest of the book of John and the Gospels, amen, concerning uh, the crucifix of the Lord and the actions that take place on the cross and that the prophet Isaiah has already put into terms and couched into terms concerning a lamb going to the slaughter. For that matter, their practice every morning and every evening, a lamb was to be sacrificed at the evening and at the morning sacrifice. Amen. Always reminding the people their need of a sacrifice. They had the, the Passover feast that we've already spoke of taking place each year with the slaughtering of lambs. Again, memorializing Israel's deliverance from bondage and marking that moment on the calendar that in Exodus 12 speaks to us whenever they was about ready to institute Passover. He said, this is the beginning of months to you. It was not the beginning of the year for them, but he's saying this day because of your deliverance and your liberty from Egypt, this Passover is marking the beginning of months to you. How great then that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, could also memorialize that moment of deliverance from bondage to freedom and really giving people a new start, a fresh start in their life. The Lamb of God, John said, that takes away the sin of the world. Takes away the sin of the world. If nothing else, people could have even considered the Day of Atonement in which there were a couple of, of, of goats that were chosen, one to be a burnt offering, the other to be a scapegoat. But the particular role of the scapegoat was for the high priest Aaron to lay his hands upon the head of that animal and confess all the sins of the nation upon it. And then a fit man would come and lead that goat and the confessed sins of the people away into the wilderness, there in that mode of Old Testament times of the scapegoat, their sins that was confessed upon its head were taken away. But how much more the Lamb of God would take away the sin of the world. And I think it's, it's neat here, just at least in our English Bibles, the, the, the John the Baptist says, which taketh away the sin of the world. And he doesn't say sins of the world. Because in reality, regardless of what it is, what label you put on it, how you classify it, it's sin. Amen. Uh, Molly sin, Joe sin, that sin, that one's a murderer, that one's a thief, that one's an adulterer. But all of these sins fall under a single heading of sin. He took away the sin of the world, regardless of classification, regardless of how we categorize it. Thank God that it didn't take a multitude of sacrifices as it did then. Every man brought a sacrifice or a, a burnt offering or a sin offering for his particular sin. But in the New Testament scripture, John John is pointing our attention toward one sacrifice and one sacrifice alone for each man's sin. It's sufficient for whatever sin it is. It is sufficient. And that is the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ that we find and will continue to find throughout the gospel of John. Now, the Bible reads, starting with verse number 19 of 1 John, the Bible reads here, and this is the record of John 
when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. Then said he unto them, who art thou? Unto him, who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah. And they which were, and they which were sent were of the Pharisees, and they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? And so what we have here, John, a witness of the Lord, yet he's being heavily questioned about who he is. I want to mark here that John is being heavily questioned about who he is, partly because... He is baptizing people. Now, give me a moment here. He's being heavily questioned, partly because he's baptizing people. The priests and the Levites have come to interrogate, interrogate John. Some, consider with me just real quickly even John the Baptist's family tree. He comes from Zacharias. He comes from Elizabeth. He comes from a priestly line, all right, Zacharias. As a matter of fact, it was notable that if you were of a priestly line, then you would be a priest. All right. And so he's being questioned then by the priestly Levites because he is baptizing people. They said, if you're not the Christ, if you're not Elias, or if you're not Elijah, or if you're not that prophet, and we'll look at that here in a little bit, then why are you baptizing? If you're not one of these high-ranked people in our minds, then why are you baptizing well let's consider something the people were not accustomed in these days to to uh different type of ritual washings that was that was customarily so they that was something that wasn't uncommon to them however baptisms were for proselytes converting to judaism judaism and they were typically self-administered in other words Usually, if a Gentile wanted to become a Jew, all right, part of his becoming a Jew would to be baptized, but it was self-administered in his conversion. William Barclay states it like this. He says, an Israelite was never baptized. He was God's already. Because everybody saying, Abraham is my father, felt that was good enough. He was God's already and did not need to be washed. But John the Baptist is now starting to make Israelites do what only Gentiles had done. And John the Baptist is suggesting unto them that even God's quote-unquote chosen people needed to be cleansed from their sin. Because remember, John's baptism is is a baptism unto repentance, Scripture says, for the remission of sins. But it was also, remember why John is baptizing, he is also doing this, Jew and Gentile alike, because he has a sign from heaven that when a dove comes, when the Spirit comes as a dove upon one and remains, he'll know that that's the Son of God. 
And so he's baptizing Gentile and Jew, all of these. And so there were a few things that had the priest and the Levites somewhat concerned and questioning John the Baptist. Number one, he's urging Jews to be baptized, and that wasn't typical. All right? And not only that, he is doing the baptizing. He's baptizing people rather than it be self-administered. And so they're scratching their head, being the priests and Levites and who they are, the grand escalon of, you know, religious government of that time. They're saying, who is this guy? You know, or at least who does he think he is? He's baptizing people. He's baptizing Jews. And John tells them who he is by telling them, telling them who he isn't. He says, I am not the Christ. Perhaps that had been upon their minds. He was going to settle that right off. I am not the Christ. Because everybody, of course, is anticipating the Christ. They're anticipating the Messiah. They have been anticipating this, I mean, since the days of Genesis. In Genesis 3, where the Bible speaks how uh, there was going to be born of a woman, a man that was going to bruise the head of the serpent. And the serpent, the heel of that individual. Uh, no wonder throughout the scriptures, this isn't the only reason, but why it was so important for male births. Because we have prophetic words in Genesis chapter number 3 of one being born of a woman, which is a male, that would bruise the head of the serpent. And so every, every male child that was born throughout the Jewish people, they're wondering, could this be the one? And so whenever we come then in the New Testament scripture, John lets them know, just to let you know, I'm a male, I understand that and all that, and I've been born of a woman, but I am not the Christ. They say, well, if you're not the Christ, then, then what, what then? What are you? Elias, perhaps you, Elijah? Are you that prophet? Now, that prophet it gives a little importance because the Old Testament Scripture tells us in Deuteronomy 18 that Moses spoke to the people, and it was foretold in the Old Testament Scripture of a prophet that was to come in the future, that was going to be very similar and like Moses. And that the Bible says that he would come from among his brethren and he would be like them. And uh, Moses spoke that this prophet that should come, that the words of the Lord would be in his mouth. Uh, but John the Baptist, making all the references he can, lets them know that he was not that prophet. John says of himself, John the Baptist in verse 23, he said... I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah, or the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied in his day, amen, how to prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Isaiah prophesying in that day, it applied literally to the time that he lived in. It was words that were good for the return of the covenant people of Israel returning from exile, making the path clear so they could return home. But not only was it for that day, but it had a dual meaning. It was for that day, but it was also prophetic, amen, of a herald that would come in the day of the coming of the Lord, both his ministry and in the second coming, of someone that would come that would clear the paths and make high places low and make it, if you will, easy travel uh, for the Lord to make his way. And so that's what John is doing. He is bearing witness to the light. He's trying to make it easy for people to recognize him, accept him, acknowledge him, amen, with everything that he's saying and doing. So John says, I'm just the voice but something we must note about John, or I think is, is, is neat perhaps to note about John. 
John the Baptist is so concentrating upon the fact that he must decrease and Christ must increase. And saying all of these statements, even repetitively, the, the, the gospel of John writer has it, that John's talking about how Jesus was preferred before him. You know, he's, he's higher of rank. The priority should be given to him. He's, he's greater than me, and he was. And John even speaks about, you know, the baptizing uh, with water, but wants to emphasize that Jesus baptized with the Holy Ghost, and he did, and that's great. John's doing the decreasing. He's just the witness. He knows his place. But John even goes on to say, whose shoes latch it, I'm not worthy to unloose. There's one coming after me whose shoes latch it, I'm, I'm not worthy to unloose. Uh, Keener says, the scholar Craig Keener says, he said the most demeaning task performed by a household servant involved the master's feet, washing feet, carrying sandals, unfastening the thongs of the sandals. He said to do such work was to be a slave. He said, however, he said ancient teachers usually expected their disciples to function as servants. However, Later rabbis entered one caveat. Unlike slaves, they did not tend to the teacher's sandals. So in other words, at one time, teachers had their disciples attend to their sandals, take them off, all right? But that became primarily the task of a slave. And so what John is even telling us, John the Baptist is relating to us that he isn't worthy to be a disciple or even a slave of Jesus Christ. He says, because I'm not even worthy to unloose the sandal. And so if that's primarily become the, the responsibility of a slave and not a disciple, I'm not even worthy to be a slave. I'm not worthy to hold a slave's position. I, I can't have anything higher. So he's really taken this decrease thing all to another level and with good reason. I mean, if you look at it with good reason, the priests and the Levites could have thought, John the Baptist even to be Elias or Elijah as it is interpreted. Because if you consider Elijah the Old Testament scripture, the Bible tells us in 2 Kings that Elijah was a hairy man. I'm not trying to be crude. It's just kind of just the way scripture terms it. He's a hairy man. He has a girdle of leather. All right. And that's just like a belt of leather. All right. Amen. And then when we read of John and Mark, John comes and he's adorned in camel's hair. He's got a girdle of some type of skin. Very similar, amen, to Elijah. So it might be easy to mistaken. But look what the Bible says in Malachi, the last, the last book of the Old Testament. It states of something, Malachi 4, 5. It said, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And so whenever John the Baptist is questioned, if you're not the Christ, are you that prophet? Are you, are you Elias? John says, I am not, all right? John the Baptist says, I am not. And yet, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus speaks to a multitude concerning John the Baptist, who at that time was imprisoned. And Jesus speaks, this is what Jesus says about John the Baptist. So what I want you to get here is John the Baptist's opinion of himself and Jesus' opinion of John the Baptist, all right? John the Baptist says, I got a decrease. That's good. He's preferred before me. Uh-huh. He's even baptizing the Holy Ghost. I'm not even worthy to. All right. Now, this is Jesus' opinion of John the Baptist in Matthew 11. He speaks of John the Baptist as being more than a prophet. 
in verse 10 in Matthew 11, he speaks of John the Baptist as my messenger that Isaiah wrote about, the one that prepared the way of the Lord and make my, his path straight. So that's mine. In verse 11, Jesus speaks of John the Baptist that none born of women is greater than John the Baptist. Not, notwithstanding, he that is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. In other words, he's putting a lot of confidence in his witness, John the Baptist. Now look now, verse 14 of Matthew 11, Jesus' words. He says, and if you will receive it, speaking to the multitude in the context of everything I just spoke to you, John the Baptist is more than a prophet. He's the messenger Isaiah spoke of, uh, none greater than John the Baptist born of women. Verse 14, and if you will receive it, Jesus says, this is Elias, which was for to come. John the Baptist, when asked, he says, I'm not, are you Elias? He says, no. Jesus says, if you'll receive it, this is Elias. In other words, the witness of the Lord, John the Baptist, doesn't detect the significance of his own ministry. But Jesus did. What I've been trying to present to you tonight then is the record of a witness. He is constantly showcasing the Lord. He's constantly uplifting the Lord. All the different aspects, as a witness should, even to the degree that he's not aware of his own significance in the plan of God. And so we will see more witnesses than just John, but he is probably the epitome of witnesses for the Lord that is described in John. Because he's doing all these things, he's abasing himself. And the truth of Scripture have come to surface even in the other Gospels. That whoever abases themselves, the Bible says, he will be exalted. Christ says he's more than a prophet. He's the one that Isaiah spoke of. There's none greater than he born of women. The least in the kingdom, as it says in Matthew 11, is greater than John. What then is this whole concept then of witness for the Lord? It's being, it's carrying out being a witness for the greatest thing that has ever touched the world. And being personally, personally do it with a spirit of humility. If you can just think here for a moment, some people that are trusted with bearing important messages can almost get a little bit of clout and air themselves. Because they've been entrusted with such a message. But we don't find that among John the Baptist. He was honored and humbled to be the witness to the light. Though some were even trying to mistake him for the light itself. What an honorable witness that when, you know, they thought he was Christ and, you know, in the hands in, in more flimsy hands and more untrustworthy hands, say, yep, that's me. But not John. He knew his place and probably, at least according to what I can glean from Scripture, didn't really know his impact. Can I encourage someone tonight before I close that perhaps some of the greatest, greatest things of a personal witness in this day and age is to be doing what you're doing for the work of God 
but not really aware of the total great impact that you're truly having. Amen. You may think of yourself less than what God sees that you are. Amen. Amen. But in it all, we want to be a witness for and unto the Lord. Amen. I'm going to close here this evening with prayer. Thank the Lord for John the Baptist, the witness. Hallelujah. That did not even know his own significance. Again, folks, some of the things that he said, I don't believe he totally understood. But he was a tool that was being used for God for his generation. Father, I come to you tonight. Lord, I'm so thankful, God, that it's not just that you needed witnesses in that hour, but you still need witnesses in our hour. We've received your spirit that we may be witnesses unto you. I pray, oh God, today help us, Lord, to carry this role and this responsibility of a witness, not lightly. Help us, oh God, to harness, if you will, the, 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 the personality, Lord, of a John the Baptist that will herald it loud and clear. Lord Jesus, that will take the low road and perhaps not even, Lord, be able to understand the totality, Lord, of the impact or significance of what we may presently be doing. God, I pray, oh, Lord, there are people, Lord, I know, God, even in this church, God, that don't believe, Lord, that they are having any impact on the world around them. God, they second guess, Lord, their effectiveness and placement at times in the kingdom. But, Lord, I pray, oh, God, if they could just, just, just eavesdrop in on what you're saying about them, as you said about John. He's more than that. He's greater than that. There's none better than him. And if you would have it, he is the very one that he denies that he is. Hallelujah. The Lord Jesus Christ. God, Lord, let your spirit, your power, your anointing be made known through and by the witnesses, your church. God, that's still in the world today. We don't want to fail you in that regard. We want to give the record of a witness in our generation. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.